poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on CPG is a high-stakes cash game beast with over $2 million in live tournament caches and one of my personal favorite humans in the poker world, Jesse Yaganuma. You may recall Jesse being mentioned in a story recent CPG guest Justin Saliba told about the $5,500 high roller online WSOP freezeout event, that is a mouthful, where in a very strange twist of fate, three out of ten guys in a group chat managed to be the last three players remaining in the tournament. They had planned to meet up and play soccer the next day, and when Jesse busted out in third place, he quipped, you boys better bring your shin pads tomorrow. This, to me, is a pretty typical experience with Jesse. On the green felt, he's about as tenacious and unflappable as they come, while off the felt, he's just a laid-back, hilarious dude that's as cool as a cucumber. In my mind, all of these are very important ingredients in my personal recipe for live poker greatness. It doesn't hurt that he's also one of the most talented poker players I've ever had the good fortune of going to war against. In today's episode with Jesse Yaganuma, he's going to tell you poker stories that are near and dear to his heart, what he's been up to since coming on to CPG almost two years ago, how he goes about addressing and plugging weaknesses in his poker game, and much, much more. So now, without any further ado, I bring to you an amazing human being who's a genuine poker talent, the one and only Jesse Yaganuma. Mr. Yaganuma, welcome back to the podcast, sir. How you been, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. It's my pleasure. Always a pleasure. I hope to have you back on again and again and again. And as long as you're willing to keep coming on, you know, you're just one of the good human beings in poker that I respect and appreciate. So it's always a pleasure. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. So the first question in these round twos is what have you been up to since the first one and the first one to set the timeline i believe was around like september-ish of like 2019 so it's been a couple years it has been a couple years um yeah i was living in la back when we did our first video i've since moved to las vegas um about a year ago and i've been playing a fair amount of poker out here you know i've been kind of trying to ride out covid like everybody else but uh Poker action's been pretty good in general, it seems like. So, um, yeah, that's basically, uh, that's basically it. Why the move from L.A. to Vegas? Like, because, I mean, for me, like, Vegas is less expensive. So, like, I guess that's a plus. Like, the cost of living is lower. But the L.A. weather, man. I mean, the weather is it's so fucking nice. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not wrong about that. No, uh, <laughs> I love Southern California. Um, I like living there. Uh, it just kind of made sense at the time. Um, everything in LA was shut down, including poker and the casinos mm. and everything at the time. Um, my lease was running out, and I decided to uh, come check out Vegas for a bit. Originally, I, I just got an Airbnb for like a month just to like you know play some cards and hang out. And then um, I decided to uh, just move out here for a little while um, and uh, just play poker mainly, mainly because LA was shut down, but also to like, change the scenery. And, and okay. uh, I'm still here. Any thoughts of like you know you could have grinded on the streets of Bovado or Ignition, put in some volume there, maybe played the big tournaments on ACR? For a little while. Um, in LA, like during the shutdown at first, uh, yeah, I was playing in online tournaments, um, some of the apps like a lot of people are doing, but uh, you know, that wasn't really my speed. Um, I didn't really like the apps. I was always a little sketched out by them. Um, <laughs> Rightfully I know so. There's, I know there's some people have had great games on there, but you know, that wasn't really my thing. And uh, so, and um, I kind of like playing live in general more than online overall anyway. So I figured well, I'd give this a shot. I think the apps are like high risk, high reward. 
and you can get in some like really good games, but like you can also <laughs> there you could be exposed to lots of risk, even if you're like a favorite in the game. You know, you can get cheated, you can get colluded, you can not get paid. Like there are just so many things that can go wrong. Absolutely, yeah. And I did play on them for a little bit. Um, nothing, not no big stakes or anything like that. But uh, I don't know. Just even even if it is a legit game, just in the back of my head, having like, oh, this guy could be cheating me is just is this wasn't really my thing. <laughs> Yeah, I I totally understand. I, I navigated those waters for a while. I got super used for like two months on one of the apps at one point, which was actually yeah. it was kind of reassuring when I realized that I got super used. But it's a different story for a different day because like a, just a gang of like 70 slash threes were just beating my fucking brains in day after day. And I was just like, I don't understand like do I not know how to play poker anymore? Like, <laughs> so when I realized they were super using, I was like, oh, whew, that's, that's a relief. I, I still remember how to play poker. That's nice. Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of stories out there like similar to yours. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Um, so right now you're living in Vegas. You've had some success in some of the bigger tournaments lately. You want to talk about that? I've been, uh, been pretty fortunate recently to make some runs and um a few different events. So I got uh, 11th place in the win 10K, the big tournament they had over there, which was uh, always bittersweet, but definitely can't complain. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. How much and, did you, uh, what was 11th? 11th paid uh, like just over 170,000. So that's still, that's, that's, that's an okay day. Okay day. Definitely not the, wor- not the worst 11th place I've ever had, but uh, <laughs> yeah. It's always, no, it like you not. said, it's always so bittersweet, right? Like, and, and I think that, have you had like a major MTT victory yet in your in your career? Um, I've won a few tournaments like live, but nothing nothing big. Um, a couple Define of medium big. Size events. What do you mean by big? Like the my biggest first place I had was I think I won like one of the quote unquote high rollers at one of the circuit events for like 100k. I've gotten um, third place in the WPT before, which was my biggest previous score. Um. But yeah, no, like, no, like immense victories, I would say. What's going to move the needle for you? Like when you finally snap, what's going to make the, the great Jesse Yaganuma be like, holy shit, that was fucking awesome. I don't really have any specific goals, you know, to win like a bracelet or a title or anything like that. That's kind of like a million dollar day, million dollar day. That's you, 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 you're, you're going to feel that, right? Like that, that's when he gets the pulse going. Oh, absolutely. I mean, oh, you can, any, anytime you're deep in a, in a big tournament with like a first place, like the win was like two million to first. Like you're gonna feel, you're definitely gonna feel some adrenaline, some nerves. Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna get you excited a little bit for sure. Yeah, it's only a matter of time, I, I think. Like as long as you're firing and operating the high level, like I know you are. It's just, it's going to happen one day. Um, Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's uh, imagine that you've got a greatest hits collection for the best stories you've accumulated in your career playing cards. Tell me a story that's on your greatest hits collection. My greatest hits collection playing cards. Um, you know, I don't, I feel like all these crazy stories come from like these private games and home games that, uh, that I don't really play. So I feel like my greatest hits might not be quite as exciting as some others. But You, you remember that day that everybody got drunk at commerce and was playing like PLO flips and like we tried to go play one, two. That was a... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and like I do remember that, yeah. It probably happened <laughs> on a couple of different occasions. <laughs> yeah, like for me, it only happened the one, but I do remember like playing the the one two game at Commerce with like Garrett, you, I think Mike Katz was in there too. I can't remember everybody that was in there, yeah, but like, right. yeah, there was like just a thousand chips in the pot and uh, a wreck that sat down with us to play. Basically, got their kings cracked and made us quit playing. It was a uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a, yeah, it was a fun we, time. Definitely, had, definitely had some good times back then. <laughs> yeah, you got not. Come on, man, you got to have a good. You got to have some good stories, like memorable events, things that just stand out as like, yeah, that was a fun experience. That was a fun experience. Um, hmm. Let's see, final table of a private charity tournament one time. Um, I won't mention the names, but I guess, but uh, there were a couple. Like, you know, I was like. Some well-known athletes and actors, comedians, and we're at the final table. I ended up making a heads up with uh, one of the actors, and yeah, you know, they were just like, 
you know, they're passing around like a joint and all this stuff, the final table, like while like talking shit to each other. It was just a pretty, pretty memorable time. Yeah. Nice. Did we take it down? We actually lost. No, we lost <laughs> to a <laughs> pretty well, pretty well known guy. He's a, but he was, he was a, he was a class act. It was a lot of fun. How did you get invited to charity, private charity tournament with like a bunch of celebrities? Uh, just through another poker player. I guess they were just kind of looking for people to play that, you know, there was like, uh, I wasn't, they had some cash games going on too, but I guess they were just looking for different people to come play. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure why they specifically <laughs> wanted random poker players to come, but uh, I guess just some people to fill the seats. So. Nice. Did you play the cash games at all? Um, I didn't that day, but uh, I know a lot of people did. Um, seemed like they were pretty good action, but yeah, not personally. I, I was, I would have probably if I had busted a tournament earlier, but I somehow made it to head up, so. <laughs> Of course, of course. <laughs> Um, speaking of cash games, you know, you, you mentioned your tournament results. How, how are the cash game streets treating you? What stakes are you playing? Uh, what games are you playing these days? I've been playing, so I don't remember exactly what I was told you last time, but I've been playing, uh, almost all PLO for cash games, um, last several years. Um, so I play mostly at the Aria because that's generally where the PLO games are out here. Um. It's kind of hit or miss out here. There's a, there's like a 510 PLO basically that runs every day. And then the bigger games will run kind of randomly. Like sometimes they'll run for like a week or two straight. And then sometimes they won't want, they won't run for a month, which seems like the case now. It's kind of slow right now, but, um, but yeah, during like the big tournaments and everything is always pretty good action. And, uh, so I've been pretty much doing that. Are these games uncapped? Um, the, anything above 510 is uncapped, but uh, the 510 is like a $2,000 max. And then, Anything 25, 25 or higher is uh, unkept, yeah. Nice. So the 25, 25, how much do you typically buy in for? Like how many big blinds would you say if you play like the 25, 25 that's uncapped? I usually buy in for about 5,000. So, you know, between like, and straddled like half the time also. So, you know, between one or 200 big blinds um, and kind of go from there, see what you see what's going on. If like, if there's like a, you know, action player with a lot of money, sometimes I'll, add on to try and uh, you know get deeper with him but it kind of depends what's happening yeah um why plo instead of hold'em at the time i just wanted to do something different i was uh playing a lot of hold'em i still play a lot of hold'em in tournaments and everything but uh i wanted to try a different game try and challenge myself a little differently think about the game differently like i was playing no i played no limit for probably the first 10 years of my career and uh i mean no limit is still fascinating and i have a ton to learn don't get me wrong but i just wanted to try like play like a little bit different from a poker and think about it a little differently. And, and it was a lot of fun. It's a little bit more gambling. It's a little bit more action in some senses. Um, so yeah, I just kind of enjoyed it and stuck with it. What do you mean by that in some senses? Most people get the idea sometimes, I feel like, well, maybe people that don't play PLO as much. It's like this crazy game where like people are like all in all the time. And it's sometimes like that, but it's definitely not always like that. Like in PLO, you kind of have to play your equity a lot more than no limit whereas no limit you can kind of if you want to go crazy in a hand you can kind of go crazy and get away with it from time to time um in plo like it's just kind of suicide to just have like run like no equity bluffs and stuff like that in general um so so in that sense actually i was talking with a friend uh, recently and he was we we're saying how no limit makes for a better televised game because people can do all these crazy things and people are like deep stacked and making crazy bluffs whereas plo everyone's just kind of uh you know, they get, they get all in and it's good action for people that are playing, but for people that are watching, like watching people get all in for 50 big blinds in a PLO game is not that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting, like when they're very deep and, you know, basically, I think like six figure plus pots. It's also, I think, harder for the casual watcher to really discern all the things that are going on in PLO. Yeah, for sure. It's a little bit harder to understand. I mean, less people just play PLO in general. So it's... uh. It's definitely uh, for TV. I think No Limit is definitely the more interesting game for now. But what's something you think would be helpful for somebody transitioning to PLO from No Limit Hold'em? Well, there's obviously tons of material out there to learn if you uh, if that's the route you want to take. Uh, you know, there's videos <laughs> and stuff like that. But, uh, but if you want like one Google tip, it, motherfucker. Would... <laughs> yeah. No, if there's like one thing to learn, um, I don't know. I guess just don't overvalue like. Hold them hands, you know, like just because you have bottom two pairs, that's doesn't mean just, just learn the hand values, basically. I would say, yeah. And also, I guess in addition, people just kind of play too many hands in PLO. 
Um, that's the like number one thing that I feel like new players just leak on is uh, they feel they feel like they can get away with playing like a lot of marginal hands, and um, you really just in a lot of spots you're just dominated by bigger rundowns, bigger flush draws, bigger sets, stuff like that. So uh, it's harder to get away with than people realize. <laughs> yeah, and and it's also like you know the jack six five tray with like a suited jack can like look appealing from under the gun whereas like the jack tray off in hold'em just has very limited appeal even to like whoever you are um <laughs> playing yeah, the game, no, right even, even the loosest player fools the jack three off under a gun no limit but yeah they'll play to feel that <laughs> yeah exactly exactly personally like uh and this is something that i've been thinking about a lot and it kind of why I wanted to go a little bit deep into PLO is like, I think within the next year, I'm probably going to go full force into PLO for a lot of the same reasons that I think you made the transition, but I've actually like done a fair amount of research because that's just sort of how my nerdy self operates is like, you know, I've read the Tom Chambers book kind of, I mean, it's not a book that like you, you functionally read. <laughs> it's like just billions of different numbers and like different equities against hand versus hand and like understanding how the equities work and structuring strategies in that way. But like, it's just, I think that when I got into poker, it was such a fun game to learn. Like it, like I was just, I, I, I guess I'm the type of person that's always been more in love with like the strategic aspect of the game and man playing one game for 16 years it's like it's time to time to broaden the horizons a little bit try to find some some different waters to swim in for a little while and i think that's correct but uh you know it's interesting you say that um so that's the that's one of the main reasons i started to play omaha i mean, probably like five almost five years ago now pretty mainly but um but actually recently I've kind of rekindled my interest and passion for no limit hold'em, especially uh especially in tournaments. But um, you know, there's so much more information. <laughs> what led to now. that, Jesse? <laughs> no, there's just so much more, you know, there's so much like you can learn now and there's different, you know, obviously there's solvers and stuff like that. But um just learning different strategies, no limit has actually rekindled a lot of my uh my passion to like study poker a little bit and try and get better and um yeah, and I mean, obviously, I've been running pretty good in these tournaments. Also, you can't do that without running good. But uh, but I feel like just learning new strategies and no limit hold'em has also helped my game and interested me more. So it's been uh, it's been pretty good. You're actually onto something there too, because like a year ago, I started investing a lot of time into understanding how like massive amounts of data work and how to analyze them thoroughly and properly and sort of get a zoomed out approach as to like how people are actually playing cards, um, both like regs and fish. And that was what was the most fun for me, which is a little bit weird was like just cracking, cracking some of my previously held beliefs that I thought to be true that were based on like anecdotal evidence, but then realizing that like they weren't actually true. Um, and just sort of breaking these like assumption that, assumptions I had made over the course of my career, that was actually fun because it was like, wow, like it, it introduced this new layer of depth to this game that, you know, I was just totally unaware of. And it just made things, made the study and learning of the game much more fun. No, I absolutely agree. It's been more, it makes it enjoyable. And also just having like a data-based answer to some situations in hands, for example, actually also helps me in certain spots, I feel like. Whereas back in the day, like, you know, 10 before pre-solver, pre-anything, if I made like a crazy bluff or like a big call and I was wrong, I would just sit there and second guess myself, like for, you know, hours, days, even like, what am I doing? Like, but, uh, <laughs> but now that, yeah. now that you can literally like plug the hand in and find that you're like, oh, it actually wasn't that bad. Or, oh, you're an idiot, you know, one or the other, either way, yeah. at least you kind of know, at least you kind of have an answer to what you're doing. Which, well, um, at least in, in my mind, uh, helps me like stop second guessing myself all the time. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that targeted feedback is pretty important because the feedback mechanism in poker is so faulty. <laughs> like, you know, you you can second guess yourself, you can wonder, and then like you just plug it in using like Pio, using a solver, looking at some data reads, and you're like, oh, this was actually good. So, what the fuck's my problem? Let's move on. So, when when you began your poker career, 
Who would you say was your biggest influence into pursuing the life of a poker professional? I had, um, you know, when I first started playing, like, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to become a poker professional. It was more like a hobby and I was playing for fun. Sure. Um, and I kind of feel like I just naturally progressed into kind of where I'm at now. Like, I just kind of kept playing and just kept putting off getting a job. And kind <laughs> of, uh... <laughs> well, who got you into the game? Like, who is influential in, like, igniting a passion for learning and growing? Uh, mostly my friends, I would say. I just started playing with some friends in college, you know, for, like, five bucks. And then I started, moved up to like one, two, no limit and then met some more people there that were playing. Um, so yeah, a lot of the guys uh, I started playing house games with in Maryland were pretty influential. I would say like some of them are playing bigger and I was like, oh, well, I want to play those stakes also. And now kind of go up and, and uh, you know, some of them are still playing poker, some of them are, but, uh, but yeah, I would say like the community in Maryland was very influential and in getting my start. Awesome, man. What would you say is your poker superpower? Like, what's the thing that you just know you do very, very well? Oh, man. I, you know, I'm definitely, like, not the best in terms of, like, math or analyzing him. Like, you know, I'm not the best in, like, I haven't studied the most. But, uh, you know, I'm pretty good at staying even keeled. Like, I don't uh, try not to tell. I mean, I'm, everyone's guilty to it to some extent. But, uh, yeah, I kind of just play every hand as it is. Like, if I lose a bad hand, I usually... Pretty, pretty good about getting over it pretty quickly. Um, so I can attest. I don't, know if I, have, I don't know if I have a superpower, but I would say well, that's, I'm a, that, just, that's a superpower, right? Like being able to recover very quickly is a superpower. Like it allows you to put in more volume, play more hours, learn more, grow more, make more money. Um, anything that helps facilitate that is kind of a superpower. No, it's definitely a very important skill to have in poker. Yeah. And in our first conversation, you know, I can attest that like, Jesse, just unflappable. Like you, I mean, outwardly unflappable. I have no idea what's happening in her, but like outwardly, just like, oh, okay. Speaking of, like, I remember, <laughs> uh, you remember the hand at Commerce? We played against each other. It was like we had 10K back. And, you know, I have a question about, you know, one of your favorite poker hands, but this one just kind of like popped in my head. Uh, I had kings, you had aces, and the board ran out straight, and we ended up chopping it. it. It was like a, I just, I remember that hand. It was just really funny because, like, I think the river ran out like a backdoor flush, and like you checked your cards to see if you had like the ace of spades, and then jammed, and then I checked my cards to see if I had the king of spades, which I did, <laughs> and I called, um, and we just like chopped it up. And I think in the like that one hour, I'd gotten kings versus aces twice, and like one time I won. Uh, I ran it twice and won both of them. And then the other time I chopped with you in like a big pot. So anyway, that, that, yeah, that do, situation, that yeah, that situation, uh, sticks in my memory as being funny. I do remember that actually. Yeah. Now that you bring it up, yeah, oh, it, was my, a long time it was a long, man, we're getting old. Like this was probably eight years ago or so. Like that's kind of crazy to me. It feels like those days were not that long ago. Wild. <laughs> um all right so tell me the story of your favorite poker session ever like or one that just stands out in your mind favorite poker session ever um i used to play some really long sessions it was like when i first started playing like a little bit bigger commerce remember i played like probably 40 hours straight or something with like you know like a it was like a 2040 no limit i think garrett had just moved to la too and he was in the game it's not like a specific hand stands up but yeah i remember like just playing like for almost two days straight. The game was obviously very good. I mean, otherwise I wouldn't have stayed. But uh, yeah, I was just like, and uh, you know, that was that was that was pretty big for me, definitely at the time. And uh, I just remember like swinging amounts of money, then just sitting there thinking like, wow, like this is way more money than I ever thought I would gamble with. And and I was just swinging, you know, Garrett like bet like it was a hand where he bet like he three bet me and then somehow made a boat with like seven three or something and they <laughs> bet like five thousand dollars in the river and i like called and i was like wow <laughs> i just for some reason that like stuff like that sticks out of me a little bit yeah, yeah well g getting through about the seven three I, I um so when i was staying at commerce i know garrett and garrett and uh dgaf were playing heads up and like I had like taken a sleep aid and I would make my like trek to like the uh, little convenience store in commerce to like grab 
uh, like a snack to take back to my room. And like during my track, like I went through the high stakes room and I remember like DJAF playing Garrett heads up and like just a massive pot developing and like Garrett showing down like King seven, which was like two pair <laughs> and, and, uh, Billy just kind of looking at the board, like squinting his eyes, like ah, that's, that's a $2,200 hand. <laughs> that's a $2,200 preflop hand, <laughs> like just mucking his cards. Um, sounds about right. Yeah. So, sounds about right. Uh, during that session, like how do you manage to play for 40 hours straight? Because like I would just kind of collapse in a heap and die. I think it, you know, my longest sessions probably in the order of like 24 or 25 hours. And I was certainly delirious and playing it like a D minus game. It's a very good question. I, I don't even know how I did it myself back then. I, I haven't played anywhere near that long <laughs> anytime recently. I'd say my longest session in the last five years is probably like, you know, 10 hours or something. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I don't know, back then, and I was obviously younger, and I was like, I guess a little bit more motivated to play, but a game was good. Um, yeah, I don't really know exactly how it happened, but probably lots of caffeine, and uh, <laughs> just kind of powered through. Yeah, some Vietnamese coffee at the Commerce. Oh, yeah, yeah, it definitely several Vietnamese coffees. Whew. Uh, I didn't realize what that, like, I didn't realize the effect that would have, and, like, the first time I drank one, and holy shit, it was like liquid cocaine it was insane yeah those are loaded just pure caffeine and sugar yeah um <laughs> so what about a least favorite poker session one that you just stands out as like soul crushing devastating not a good time definitely had a few of those um i've always been pretty good at like cutting myself off so i don't like lose like an amount where like it would be like soul crushing but i uh, definitely had a few where like I was like, took a shot at like a bigger PLO game, like, you know, kind of when I was still first learning PLO, I think we were playing like 1500 or 100, 200 or something like, you know, I was, I was buying insurance, taking a shot, I was just buying for like 5,000, lose it, like I just lost like four bullets in a row and then finally ran up uh, my last bullet where I was almost even. And then I just got like middle set versus top set and just got stacked. And I was like, okay. Mm. <laughs> so uh, there was a little couple like that, but uh <laughs> But I usually kind of just call it quits after a certain point. Taking a shot like that at like 500 or 100, 200 as you're like learning PLO. I mean, what what leads to these shot taking events, Jesse? Actually, I just try and play if the game is good. Um, and this was this was several years ago. Uh, yeah, I, I think now it's now it's a little bit different. But um, yeah, I would just kind of usually play if the game was action and it was good and. I would just kind of give myself like an amount where I was willing to gamble with. And, you know, if you lose it, it's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, you play, you know, you got it in in a good spot. Well, hopefully you did at least. So. <laughs> except, for, except for the middle set versus top set. That's not yeah, a good spot. Probably <laughs> not a good spot. Um, when you think of nemesis in your poker career, who's the first person that comes to mind? And it doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, basically just somebody that, like, tends to get the better of you, no matter kind of what you do. Like, some of, yeah, there are definitely people that, like, feel, like, pulled over you in certain spots, especially, like, in live poker. I don't, I don't, I can't think of an exact example right now, but in live poker, you see just so few hands, and your sample size is so small that sometimes you feel like every time you play with a guy, he beats you in every hand, whereas, you know, it's possible he just had a very good hand each time, and, uh, <laughs> but sometimes it feels like you're getting owned for sure. Can't think of like a specific example off the top of my head, but uh, if I do, I'll, I'll mention it. Yeah, you can text me later. <laughs> um, when you think of pots one, what's the first one that comes to mind? So that'd be sure. I uh, played. I haven't played like a ton of like huge cash. Um, I definitely won like a, maybe the biggest cash game pot I won. Wait, wait, wait. You, we just talked about like losing a 40k pot playing 100, 200 PLO. So, like, oh, no, no, it was like 40k. It was, it was more like, I mean, it was closer to like 25, 30, maybe. Maybe I was, wasn't that close to even. <laughs> I did win like a, maybe a 40k pot one time. Maybe it was 35. Uh, pocket Kings in like this crazy hand where like, uh, I think it was a commerce. Yeah, it was a commerce and it was like 50, 100. I like, it was like a three-way all-in with kings and some guy had like middle pair and some guy had top pair and a guy like guy actually turned two pair but then i counterfeited on the river and 
it was it was an exciting hand. That was one of the, one of the bigger cash game pots I've ever won. Um, in tournaments, I would say stand the most exciting here. Huh? I guess I haven't won like huge tournament yet, so I don't have like a specific <laughs> hand. <laughs> but hopefully, at some point soon. <laughs> the decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop bootcamp. Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I loved the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable. But I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away. And what about boot camp blew you away? Like it started off slow, like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that. And that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general. Do you have any interesting takeaways from your bootcamp experience? The most interesting thing about the bootcamp, it's a pre-flop bootcamp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post-game as it did for my pre-game, just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the bootcamp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap. And it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you. If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Bootcamp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Let's ask the opposite question now. When you think of pots lost, what pots come to mind? Pots lost. Well, the most recent one that comes to mind is uh, my bust out hand from the win. Um, got in pocket queens against, you know, I won't tell a bad piece story, but I got in pocket queens against pocket tens and uh, any four flushed me to bust that tournament. Um, so that's that's the most memorable uh, recent hand I lost. Um, otherwise, I've definitely, you know, the pots lost do feel more memorable. I busted a lot of hand tournaments, like, I don't know, like near, near a big final table where it would have been nice, but. Uh, <laughs> But I try to keep a, I actually don't remember like as many hands as some other people do. I feel like, <laughs> well, I, I think at some point, like we don't commit all the hands to memory because like at some point it's just not as useful as it used to be. It's kind of like diminishing returns. At least that's been my experience in poker. Uh, yeah, I think it's, 
fairly important to have a, uh, a short-term memory in some regards. I mean, you want to <laughs> you want to you want to remember the important things, but you can't just dwell on the uh, <laughs> on the negatives. Sure, and I think like with poker again, like I, I think the way that I'm constructed, like the strategy aspect was like everything to me in the beginning. And so like every little data point, every detail was like obsessed over like off the felt after afterwards. And then at some point it was just like, ah, okay, we played some hands and I don't know that there's a lot to take away and let's just move on with our lives. Fine line between you know, learning obviously and like learning from learning from the sessions you played and also uh, not dwelling on all the, uh, swings from poker because it's pretty easy to get caught up in up or down swings. What's the major benefit or do you have any tactics to have a short memory? I think it's important to have uh, a balance. Like you have to have other things to do once you leave the poker table. Um, and I, I admittedly have not always been good with that, but uh, try to get out there and play, you know, play some sports, um, playing some tennis, golf, uh, pickleball have been pretty popular recently. Um, or just games or playing like chess recently, like a game where if you lose that, you're not going to lose a bunch of money. It's always nice to have. <laughs> All <laughs> the I'm games. Terrible at chess. I'm terrible at chess, but, uh, but I enjoy playing it. Um, you know, Justin Saliba just came on the podcast and was telling me about, you know, how y'all were in like a thread and it was like, what, three of the 10 people in the thread were like, it was three handed between three of you in the, the group text. That was actually very funny. Yeah, with uh, we were all planning on um, playing indoor soccer the next day in Vegas, and uh, with like 15 people left, like we were uh, yeah, the three of us were in a chat, and then somehow we got three handed, and uh, <laughs> and it was actually it was pretty pretty interesting. Um, and Justin ended up winning, so congrats to him. And then we all uh, ended up playing soccer the next morning, which is uh, <laughs> which was a lot of fun actually. But um, yeah, pretty crazy how it worked out. Yeah, he told me about your text saying to uh, bring your shin pads. <laughs> bring your shin pads yeah. tomorrow. Um, but I guess third, you know, third's better than fourth or any other place. So. Oh, no, definitely, definitely happy with it. It's a fun tournament. Um, close to, to close to get a bracelet. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of talk right now about like the value of the bracelets, et cetera. Like still... How, how do you think you would have felt getting a bracelet for like the online WSOP companion to the live WSOP? I mean, thought it would have been cool, but I never really thought too much about it. Um, I've never really been like chasing bracelets or stuff like that. I mean, if I if I win one, great, I'd be happy to have it, and, uh, and I'd be proud to proud to own one. But I haven't really like thought too much about the value of bracelets or diminishing value recently. And obviously, they're giving out. You know, it was like 150 braces or something this year. I mean, it is what it is. I don't think it's like a bad thing. It's good for poker to generate interest. But uh, but yeah, I've never been one to like chase a bracelet per se. So if you're not chasing bracelets, what is the fuel that makes you want to get up and compete in poker tournaments on a regular basis? Um, I mean, obviously, I think the action is good right now. It's my living, so or that work is like part of it. But also, I think the competition is a uh, Competition itself is the main fuel. Kind of like I enjoy like trying to outwit each other and trying to take what I learned into actual action on the felt and um, see if I'm like challenge myself in that way. So of course the money is important, but uh, the competition itself is the main fuel. Besides that, I would say for sure. It, I mean, it, it must be right. Like the the money, the prestige aspect, the people that like you know just chase that component of like what they imagine you know poker greatness to be. I think the shelf life of them being a pro or sustaining being a poker professional over the long term, they're just going to get um, burned out. Like it's not a, it's not enough of a driver to motivate somebody day in and day out. Um, just like the pursuit of money. And I, and I think that like, this is, this really manifests in like the live cash game streets when you have these guys that are like, you know, quote unquote pros, but like sort of, lower level pros that are just trying to grind out an hourly every day and are there just because they feel like they have to be there. Like never ever are these human beings like super pumped and happy about playing poker. No, absolutely. Uh, it can wear on you very fast for sure. And uh, if you're not enjoying it, if you're not challenging yourself and if you're not trying to improve and, uh, 
and enjoying the competition then uh yeah like going there every every day to grind down hourly is uh it's not a fun way to really go about life i would say um i mean you know there's a place there's a time and place for that and i i enjoy playing cash games also but but anytime i try and force myself to play when i don't really want to or i don't you know this i'm not in the right mindset then i never play good i don't enjoy it and uh it's just not the best way to play bigger i think every time that i've gone about it it's just ended in regret like just regret yeah. all around of like why did i spend my day doing this i did not want to do this like now i'm playing like shit, and then just spirals down from there yeah absolutely no just uh emotional control and mindset is uh is just as important as being good at the cards yeah i mean that's that's what it segues into right like once you have a high technical understanding like the next part is like performance you've got to actually perform and at a high level day in and day out hour in and hour out and um going back by the way to something that you said earlier that i kind of skipped over you mentioned like falling more in love with hold'em because of the study tools available which begs the question of like how do you go about studying uh how do you go about studying poker these days um it's a mix uh talk hands with some friends that are out, out very good um i don't do the software as a ton but i do uh i do do some hands here and there um, i think they, they definitely are important and have a time and place um you know i watch some uh some instructional videos from time to time but um but yeah mostly i would say there's so much information out there that you can kind of even there's no specific way to go about it um you can kind of find a your own path. Um, I know some people like the best poker players, some of them like grind solvers for hours and hours a day, and they're for sure probably the best in the world now. Um, and maybe I'd be better if I did that, but uh, I haven't really, that's, that's not the route that I've gone, I would say, but I still like understand how like they work and I kind of like put, put a decent range of like, maybe I'm not explaining very well, but like, I know like roughly what the solver likes in a lot of different spots. And uh, if I have a specific question, I'll put it in. Like there was a hand recently where I made like a big bluff. I was like, oh, I thought it was okay. And then I had my friend put it running through the solver and it was like, oh, it was terrible. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> so, 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 so I learned from, I learned from my mistakes like that. But, uh, you you mentioned, yeah. why do you think solvers don't resonate with you in the way that they do other people? Like, cause you and I are similar in that way. Well, I don't think it's that, it doesn't resonate. Um, I think they're extremely important. They're, uh, well, it doesn't get your goat, just, right? Like it doesn't like suck you in. Right. Well, I, probably if I was playing these high roller tournaments against the, some of the best, best, best 50 players in the world all the time, then I would just sit down and grind it a ton because they're all playing extremely balanced and extremely well. Um, in this cash games and tournaments that I play, uh, you come across a wide variety of players. Um, some very good, some, you know, recreational and everywhere in between. So I think having like a good understanding of what the solver likes is important, but I don't need to plug in every single specific spot because I'm playing against like competition where maybe playing the solver optimal way isn't the best exploitable way against some other people. Um, but yeah, it's well. still important to know what it likes against when you're playing against good players, I would say for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that like GTO and exploitative poker, they're two sides of the same coin. And that like, if you were to node lock a fish's strategy, then like the output on the solver would probably mirror a lot of the exploitative strategies that you deploy just because like, Oh, if you know, villains are folding 80% here on the river and like, they're just capped then like, yeah, the solver is going to be like, Let's freaking roll, buddy. Like, let's just bluff our asses off with most of our range, you know? Yeah, for sure. And um, so, yeah, it's always a, a little bit of a guessing game trying to figure out what your opponents are doing. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I feel like, I've, you know, after playing for 15 years, it's a give it an educated guess to see what happens. Well, I mean, it's a game of people, right? That's, that's the ultimate, that's what makes poker so fun and has always made poker so fun. Like you said, we're trying to outwit and, you know, be more clever than one another and find edges and like that aspect of navigating the psychological and the tactical is just to me what makes the game fun and engaging you know even after all this time it's the most uh most interesting part and if it wasn't for the uh, competition i'd 
probably moved on to something else. What would you consider a, a weakness in your poker game? And then what steps have you taken to uh, address said weakness? Weakness in my game. Uh, for a while, I wasn't. I was playing like too far on the exploitative spectrum, I would say. Um, I grew up playing, I came up playing more live than online. So I didn't, um, like I was like on the polar opposite of like GTO and solvers. Like I was playing like purely exploitatively against like specific opponents and like just making like drastic assumptions. And that I've tried pretty hard to fix. Um, and it's definitely taking some time, but uh, like any studying and stuff has helped with that. Um, you know, I would like be severely under bluffing in certain spots or like, and you know, just stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, I've tried to fix that and become more balanced. And, um, you know, I think I've, uh, I have a long way to go, but that's definitely one of the things I've tried to fix. <laughs> we all have long ways to go, sir. It's always, uh, we can always do a better job. What's a common assumption that people make about their poker journey that you think they should spend some more time thinking about? Hmm. Um, I think people under, understand that there is variance, but they kind of underestimate the amount of variance you can have, especially if you're playing a lot of live poker. Um, but you can go years and years and years, especially if you're, especially if you're playing tournaments without uh, coming anywhere close to realizing your expectations. So, yeah, like I've been, I've ran pretty good like during COVID and everything, but before, like I had several years, several years before that where, you know, that's like, a bumpy road and uh i think you have to be ready for that and and a lot of people you know that's why that's why a lot of people end up quitting poker or coming and going because variance just gets to them and, and that's that how do you go about maintaining your confidence levels when you're going along one of these bumpy roads it's difficult uh it's easy to uh start doubting yourself and start wondering what you're doing with your life when you're, uh, when you're losing your poker and busting your retournament all the time. Um, but I think, uh, I think it helps if you, uh, are studying and putting in the work and, uh, if you're like, you know, talk, discuss, like discussing with friends and stuff like that, like, as long as you, it helps when you know that you're making the right plays, if you're getting, a, as long as you can like compartmentalize the fact that, you know, I got unlucky, it's okay. It's part of the game then I think you can keep going about it. But, uh, but human nature wise, when you keep, just keep getting beat down over and over is, uh, very difficult to handle. Yeah. It takes a psychological toll. I, I like what you said there about just keep doing the right things. And I think that like, that's, you have to take self-responsibility in your journey and like, not be so quick to blame variants on all of the things that are going wrong and sort of take responsibility in investigating these spots and understanding like, am I actually making the right decisions here? Am I actually growing? Am I actually getting better at this game on a daily basis? And I think that like a lot of people, if they're honest with themselves, when they're going through something like that, they're probably not actively trying to improve on a regular basis. They're probably just, you know, in a downward spiral. Uh, and it's just very important to always keep your eye on the prize. And, you know, in my opinion, the prize is just always trying to be the best version of yourself as you can possibly be while, when you're at the poker table. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's the whole reason poker exists is because, you know, most people, uh, blame their losing on random variants and luck and stuff like that. No, I mean, there's, there's some exceptions, like some people just purely come to gamble, but most people don't go to the card room expecting like, oh, I'm going to lose five big blinds an hour today. You know, they, they think they're winning. They, if they go home and lose, they blame it on variance. They blame it on bad luck, whatever, whatever they can, uh, unlucky dealer, you know, I've seen that one a lot. So. <laughs> yeah. Let's watch the cards. Give, give us a new setup. This dealer sucks. Uh, a lot of times, you know, some prophecies can be self-fulfilling. You know, I've had private coaching students that have been like, I just keep running. Like I just keep getting cooler at every session. I'm just cooler, cooler, cooler. And then it's like, oh, well, like you're, see betting like 90% pot and then like <laughs> like you're just funneling in like all the strongest hands every time to where like only a better hand will call you down or put money into the pot and it's like yeah of course you're getting cooler you're like manifesting these events and so like even when you think that you're getting cooler in poker over and over again there's some like self-responsibility component here in like am i screwing my strategy up in such a way that like i'm running into the nuts every time because like I'm playing my hand in such a way that the nuts is the only hand that's going to give me action. 
Absolutely. And being honest with yourself um, in poker and in life is one of the most difficult things to, to do, honestly. <laughs> um, and what, what do you mean by being honest with yourself? Like for you, what does that look like internally? Uh, I think like the human mind just, well, not, not, I think like I've read that the human mind basically has like a defense mechanism where like if something bad happens, they like find a reason to like kind of convince yourself it's not your fault. So if you lose in poker, oh, it's somebody else's fault. If you something, uh, you know, if like relationship goes bad, you know, oh, this is because of this. And, you know, like instead of blaming yourself, it has a defense mechanism to find a reason so uh, you don't feel bad about yourself. And um, so that translates to poker. If you lose, you're like, oh, I got unlucky or, you know, like, oh, I keep getting cooler over and over. But you forget the other you know, thousands of hands you played where like you made like a small mistake here, a small mistake there. And uh, and you just start blaming the, the variance. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's difficult to be honest with yourself. But, um, but yeah, like you said, it's very important to, uh, to do that if you're trying to succeed. Yeah. And I think like one thing that kind of cuts through the bias of the individual is like getting outside feedback from trusted sources, whether that be through high level poker playing friends, a community, a private coach, just somebody that's able to see what you're doing and look at it, you know, more objectively and with less bias than you yourself have. I think that's another route people can take if they're just unsure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Having like another set of eyes on a situation and uh, definitely in poker is a, uh is invaluable. Have you made any purchases in the last year that have been impactful to your poker game? Supplements, training, apps? Um, I, have been, I have been taking, uh, just trying to be healthier. I've been uh, exercising more and um, eating better. Uh, not, not really purchase, but uh, yeah, it's like a lifestyle change uh, that I've tried to make. Um, I mean, it's been proven repeatedly that just exercising and being healthier helps, you know, helps you think, helps you operate better, helps your mood helps your critical thinking. So, uh, so that's helped. Um, I haven't really bought anything per se, but, uh, but yeah, that would be a change, I suppose. What, what does training look like to you? Um, how many days a week? What's the activity level look like? I go to the gym by about an hour a day, like six days a week, uh, for like the last four months or so. Um, you know, I put on a few COVID pounds, like a lot of people did, I'm sure. And, uh, I decided that, uh, I wanted to make a change to that, so I decided. Um, so I've been, yeah, I've been exercising uh, and playing some sports a lot more recently. Any any results uh, cognitively after these four months? Like more stamina at the poker table, higher cognitive ability in like navigating your thought process, anything like that you can put your finger on? Yeah, I mean, just the natural sense, like just a general sense. I feel better. Um, I feel like I'm thinking clearer. My focus is a little bit longer. Um, you know, less a little bit less scatterbrained. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it's uh, it's helped in that sense. I yeah, like I've more like if you're playing like twelve hour tournament day, I have a little bit more energy towards the end of the day. Yeah, I think it's definitely helped. Uh, what are some things you wish you said no to more often? No to. I've been cutting. I've been trying to cut back. Uh, well, I guess since since I started working out, like I've been cutting back a little bit of alcohol. I stopped drinking. Like you know, I was drinking like a few too many beers here and there. So I've been I've been cutting back on stuff like that. I mean, nothing too crazy. Like I still have a drink here and there, but uh. Um, that's something I probably sh should have said no to a little bit longer ago. Um, we should have said no to man. You're a pusher. You, you're one of the people pushing, pushing me to drink more at, at no, no, no. I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. As long as it's like a, it's a recreation, like a safe and fun sense, but, uh, it's, it's, it's easy to go over the line sometimes, I guess. For sure. And on the opposite side of that, like, what are some things that you wish you had said yes to more often in your poker career? my poker career but i've actually just been trying to say yes to like more things in general recently like if any if anybody like invite has like an event or like a trip or something like i've been just trying to uh just say yes and try to get as many experiences as possible um maybe partly because like for a while in covid no one could do anything but also you know maybe i'm just getting a little bit older and i want to, i don't want to like i don't want to just sit around and make excuses for not doing things even if i go do something i don't like it like it's probably it's better than just doing nothing. So, so I've been just trying to say yes to more experiences, I guess. Yeah, we're we're getting older. We're realizing that like, oh, time is time is finite. We're only here for so long, and so we need to like actually do some shit because like it's really easy to just sort of sit around and watch the years kind of fly by. 
just goes faster every year. What's what's a cool thing you've said yes to recently? I just got back from a East Coast trip um, with a high school buddy that I hadn't seen in a couple of years. Like, definitely hadn't seen through COVID. Um, and then we went like, you know, we got we had a few friends and got a beach house for like weeks. So that was a lot of fun. Um, saw my, you know, saw my parents while I was back there. Like, gave, I gave my parents a hug for the first time in like you know over a year. So all that was pretty cool. Um, got some snowboarding trips planned this winter. Um, maybe trying to go to a. I mean, we'll see with the COVID restrictions and everything, but trying to go to uh, some countries like I've never been to Austria, maybe Switzerland. Um, so hopefully those work out. We'll see what happens. But uh, but yeah, just trying to uh, get some new new experiences. Awesome, man. I think that like getting new experiences is probably one of the major reasons why a lot of us got into poker in the first place, like traveling around, seeing different places, just experiencing sights and sounds and just all kinds of different environments. I think so, man. Definitely the freedom to do all that stuff is one of the major attractions of, uh, of our lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, the freedom. And then like a lot of times we kind of forget about the freedom <laughs> and we're like, that, that's where we end up being like, we need to, I need to go do some shit. I need to get out into the world. So easy to forget. It's so easy to just wake up and then six months have gone by and you're old or whatever. Yeah, um, absolutely. What's something like throughout your poker career that you used to strongly believe but you've reversed course, changed your mind, and then what led to that change? I guess I used to think I could just kind of like, like outsmart everyone, but I could just kind of figure the game out and, you know, go, go at it alone and kind of just figure out my own strategy. And then I, you know, as the games got tougher and I realized that, you know, I just wasn't, wasn't winning as much or I was, you know, I was making a lot of mistakes and I was like, you know, I need to, uh, I need to study and put the time in if I'm going to continue in this profession. So, uh, basically, yeah, I guess just not winning will, uh, <laughs> make you think pretty quickly about your, uh, your stance on. <laughs> well, what's like a, a stretch that led to you, you know, investing more energy into studying and growth? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess just like a, a long-term like streak where you're either losing or not winning much, just kind of, uh, What's long-term mean to you? Oh, it could be like a year, even um, a year or two where uh, you're just not doing as well as you expected to do. And you're kind of second guessing yourself and your career path. And I decided <laughs> I, I actually, I'm going to either take poker seriously or I'm going to do something else. And I decided to take it a little bit more seriously. Cool, man. Yeah. Like a few years is quite a long time of like breaking even and treading water. It's like, no matter how even keeled you are, two years is frustrating. No, definitely. I had a lot of ups and downs, but uh, yeah. I worked through. As long as more ups than downs, I think, at, at the end of the day. As long as the graph is trending upwards over the course of your poker journey, that's what ultimately matters. And we'll, we'll close out the show by asking if you're working on any projects right now that are near and dear to your heart. Right now, my fitness, like the fitness that I mentioned earlier, is like my most important thing. I'm really uh, taking it fairly seriously. I'm trying to trying to stick with it. Um, I've been doing a lot of re reading a lot and watching a lot of videos um, on different health things and fitness things. So uh, that's my main goal. Um, other other projects, um, I'm hey. not like heavily. No, go ahead. I was going to say anything like counterintuitive or interesting you've learned on like the health aspect through watching videos and just learning um, some things like uh how cardio isn't the best way to like you know for fat loss if that's your goal um like like weight training is i've taken taking my weight training a lot more seriously um it actually helps with everything from metabolism to uh just muscle burns more calories in general like in cardio if you do cardio you might you'll burn more calories in like maybe the, the 30 minutes that you're doing cardio but the rest of the day is uh more impactful if you do resistance training and stuff like that you know just uh Stuff that I'm sure lots of people know, but it was kind of a, as someone who had never taken it too seriously in my life, it was kind of news to me. It's, it's actually fun, like lifting weights and getting stronger on a regular basis and like just sort of like tracking where you were. It's almost, it's like a competition against yourself where it's like, you know, you see how much you, you lifted a week ago or two weeks ago or a month ago and how far you've progressed, whether it's in like, just reps or the amount of weight that you're able to lift. It's just that to me is a really fun part of the experience. Definitely a challenge against yourself and, uh, and seeing like seeing the, the results is, uh, is very rewarding. And I mean, from as somebody who has 
basically lifted seriously for the not lift like I'm not, I'm not trying to become a bodybuilder or anything like that but you know like just lifted for health reasons for the first time at like age 35 is a it's uh it's pretty it's been an interesting journey for sure and to close out man if the chasing poker greatness listener even if you want them to even be able to find you on the world wide web maybe you don't want anybody to to find you uh where where would they look uh there's not that many places actually i'm not too <laughs> active on any social media um i guess i tweet like once a year on at jesse yags um but uh but no i'm not not the most active on social media i'm more of a twitter lurker and that's about it <laughs> yeah find him at the pickleball courts in in vegas that's where you're gonna find jesse yags all right man thank you very much for your time your energy i enjoyed it as always Best of luck, and uh, we'll do this again, hopefully not in two years, maybe maybe like a year or so. This sounds great. Thanks for having me back, and uh, I'll come talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community. Book a coaching session or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.